make deposits instead of making withdrawals, you know, walk up to these people, you know, virtually and say, hey, here's something, no strings attached. I think you'll find it interesting. I think it will help you to improve your business. And if not, tell me why you didn't find it valuable and let's get some conversation going. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I am Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Dana Lindahl. How are you, Dana? Hey, Matt. I'm good. Thanks for having me here. I know that we were talking a little bit before we got started, uh, you know, that every conversation that everybody has nowadays with their clients starts with five minutes of COVID talk, right? And then we immediately talked about it for like five minutes. So that was kind of funny. But I wanted to kind of let people get a sense for who you are and what you do first. So why don't you uh, let us a little know, sorry, let us know a little bit more about who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, sure. So my name is Dana Lindahl and I own a company called Legendary Lead Gen. Uh, We got our start back in 2014. We were one of the first companies helping other B2B companies and agencies to do outbound lead generation, get them in touch with people in their target market, set sales appointments, and help walk them through the process of making sales through such a process. In 2018, we switched primarily over to LinkedIn. Uh, In a way, it was actually a reaction to GDPR, just kind of shaking up the whole email industry and, you know, deliverability changed a lot. So we took our our know-how in terms of copywriting and targeting, and we we transplanted that over to LinkedIn. And since 2018, we've been primarily focused on helping our customers, who are still primarily B2B companies and marketing agencies, to generate leads for themselves on LinkedIn. Although the tactics in which we use on LinkedIn have changed drastically several times since 2018. There has been a huge ramp up on LinkedIn in the last couple of years. I remember LinkedIn was basically dying uh, a while back because of there was a huge spam problem in the groups. And then the only people who were basically on it were people who were looking for a job at the time, you know, and uh, since Microsoft took it over, it's, it's still it's come a long way. And it's hard to to see how the changes that they made have affected things. But I mean, nowadays, the engagement on LinkedIn is just through the roof. Uh, We're seeing it in a big way also. So how do you think that lead generation has changed just over the last couple of years? But also, you know, maybe a little bit after that, you could talk about how lead generation has changed now that we have the whole coronavirus thing going on. Sure, definitely. So when we made the decision to move over to to LinkedIn, it was actually one that I wasn't super comfortable with at first, because like you said, I, I still thought of LinkedIn at that time as like, this is a place that you would go to look for a job. So, you know, we were discussing it within our team internally of like, okay, email is, you know, having trouble right now. What do we do? And we realized, yeah, we could take our skills and apply it to LinkedIn. But I was still very averse thinking like, this is not a place where, where people really hang out. And I didn't even remember my password or how to get into right. it at the time. You know, when we onboard new clients, you know, two years ago, they almost never remembered their password or how to get in. These days, they do because more people are actually on it. But when we moved over to LinkedIn, we, we applied a lot of the same strategies. And the strategies that were working at the time in the cold email world were if you can get the email of somebody who's within your target market and you can 
send them a message that says something somewhat compelling, it'll be fairly easy to get somebody on the phone so you can at least, you know, tell them about your products or, or services. So we applied that same strategy over to, to LinkedIn and it worked really, really well for, for a long time. In my opinion, the biggest thing that's changed over the last couple of years on the platform is they've not LinkedIn themselves, but a lot of third parties have introduced automation tools to do everything from automate connection requests, automate messages that you're sending, even automating things like giving people endorsements and, and recommendations. And that's really, really changed the game. For one, you know, people have been doing automated cold email for a while, but if you're going to run a cold email campaign, it takes time to actually go out and find those people's email addresses and, and confirm that they're valid. With LinkedIn, it's not. Literally, you just spin up Sales Navigator and run you know, a list of some filters and you'll find hundreds or thousands of people who, in theory, fit your, your target market. So the fact that these automation tools were coming out and a lot of them were priced you know, under $50. You can find these tools for $19 a month now. Uh, in my opinion, this caused a lot of people who either were taking a thoughtful approach to their outreach in the past or people who are getting into doing this sort of outreach for the first time, it caused them to not really put too much thought or extra effort into it because they're not really spending that much money to do so. And it's very, very easy to just say, hey, well, we can just automate all these messages and whatever sticks, cool, I'll take a call with that guy or that girl. And it's not really true. You know, with, with your LinkedIn, you're profile picture, your your tagline, everything about you is right there front and center for everyone to see. So unlike people who have been, you know, running cold email blasts for, for years and, you know, getting some sales from it, who don't care because no one really remembers them after they, they send out this email. These people who you're sending, you know, poorly thought out messages to on your, your LinkedIn are remembering you by your face and by your company name and all the things that you put there to, you know, tie it back to yourself. So yeah, you can get blocked or reported or all kinds of things can happen. Yeah, exactly. I know there are a lot of people who just kind of got back on to LinkedIn. Do you want to talk about what LinkedIn Sales Navigator is? Sure. Yeah, I sort of just blew past that one. Right. Sales Navigator is LinkedIn's CRM and way for you to find highly targeted leads and accounts on the platform. Personally, I don't find it to be a great solution as a CRM on its own for the fact that it doesn't really play too nicely with a lot of other tools. LinkedIn is pretty against you importing things into their platform and exporting things out of their platform. And I'm also of the opinion that, you know, the, the main business conversations that you're going to have are going to take place off of LinkedIn. So I recommend a different CRM, especially for, you know, better integrations. But LinkedIn Sales Navigator to me is simply an amazing way of filtering down and finding the types of people that I want to be in contact with. So that's a good explanation. So you had talked about people sending out the messages that they want to get and they hadn't put a lot of thought into it and using some automation tools. You want to kind of continue off from there? Yeah, sure. So when we first started on, on LinkedIn for our clients, it was as easy as reaching out to people who are within the target market of where our clients are trying to operate and same like we did with email, just, you know, reach out and share a little bit of our value proposition and ask them if they'd be interested to, to learn more, never super pushy, never really salesy, but just, you know, telling them what we have to offer and seeing if they'd be interested. And we were able to produce so many more leads for our clients right off the bat, as soon as we moved over to LinkedIn compared to email. So we thought things were 
were incredible. But quickly, these these automation tools started to come out and people started to use them irresponsibly. And, you know, I receive on a daily basis these days three to five connection requests from other LinkedIn lead agencies who are pitching me on, hey, Dana, would you like to, you know, would you like to get on a call so I can tell you about how we can set appointments for you or get you 10 to, to 20 B2B uh, sales appointments each month. And it's like, do you even realize who you're, you're contacting? I mean, why would I, I, I sell this as a service. Why would I purchase it from you? That happens to us constantly. We get SEO companies contacting us and SEO is in our name. Like our companies call it hook SEO. Like it's just unbelievable how much, you know, how, how little people understand about who they're targeting and how much time and money they're wasting. And it comes down to, to two things. One is, you know, just not really caring enough. The thought process that like, I didn't spend that much money on this and all it's going to take is one sale and all I need is a few people to raise their hand and get on the phone. So that's, you know, a very short term outlook on, you know, making sales and growing your company. Second is that there's some nuances of, of sales navigator and the way it filters companies that somebody who's just getting into this is not going to fully understand. Uh, so as an example, I know that the reason that I'm getting hit up so much by these people is that a common customer for a LinkedIn agency like myself is other marketing agencies and B2B service companies. So they're targeting me as a marketing agency. They're using the marketing and advertising category, but they haven't thought enough to try to exclude people who have leads, lead generation, sales, appointments, things like that. So they're just blanket reaching out to to marketing agencies and getting competitors in there as well. Yeah, we see that uh, a lot with Facebook ads uh, also where people haven't set the targeting correctly. They've set the reach to be too broad or... This, this happens amazingly often with real estate agents uh, and mortgage people. They'll set up ads for mortgage or retail, but they won't exclude other realtors or agents. And that also sets up, at least in the Facebook marketing world, the chance for those people to click on their ads and say, this is spam and stuff like that. And you can get your campaigns blocked. I think that can happen also on LinkedIn Navigator. If people start marking your marketing messages as spam, I'm not sure how that process works or how many times it has to get marked before. But I know in the advertising world on Facebook uh, and Instagram and places like that, it's devastating and it drives your cost up. And then you can get your accounts blocked and all kinds of stuff can go wrong there. Yeah. LinkedIn is not uh, too public or transparent about how many infractions it's going to take to to give you a warning or a ban or a suspension. But basically any message that you send anyone, someone can mark it as spam. Uh, and that would, of course, be bad for your account. Also, when you send connection requests to people, if they don't know you, if they have no connection to you whatsoever, they can click a button when they reject your connection request. It says, I don't know this person. If someone clicks that for you too many times, LinkedIn will start requiring you to actually input somebody's email to be able to send them a connection request, which basically means all your connection requests are done. You know, you may not even know, you may know that person, but you not may not know the their Gmail address that they use to actually sign up for LinkedIn. Right. It has to be the one they use to sign up. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't use their company address to sign up in case they get a different job someday. Or they had a different job when they signed up originally. And so it's their old email address or something like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of spammy outbound marketing in general, but also on LinkedIn, just like you were saying, you get a lot of requests for that. 
How do you think that you can avoid kind of sounding spammy in those messages? I know you talked about like the value proposition, but is there some tips for wording messages or anything like that? Yeah. So for our clients now, we're really not focused on the same type of campaign that we were when we moved over to LinkedIn in 2018. Things have changed so much and people are just kind of blind to anyone who's reaching out to them with a a big, long message that's, you know, four paragraphs long and obviously is written for everybody and not just for them. So we are pushing everything from a completely different direction now and simply just trying to start conversations with people. Uh, So there's no pitch. There's no, you know, Really, there's rarely even mention of the the value proposition. Uh, We've shortened our templates drastically uh, because one of the things that we've realized after a few months of, you know, going from email to LinkedIn is that when you write an email to somebody, you write the entire thing and you send it out and then you, you wait for a response back. It's very rare that you send two emails in a row to somebody. But with a messenger style system, it's, it's not the same. You often send three, four, five messages in a row to somebody. So we shortened the entire length because if you now have one message that's four paragraphs long, it's very obvious that you're just sending this to, to everybody and it's not really meant for the recipient on their own. We're also going for, you know, not trying to get someone to raise their hand and say, hey, yeah, let's jump on the phone right now. I want to hear all of the things that you can do to help me. Our, our main goal right now is to produce a conversation, get something going between you and that other person so that you can actually learn more about this person, network with them and build a relationship, which is what the platform is actually for, not just for simply, you know, pitching it, what you have to sell, but for getting in touch with people who could both you could benefit or you could be a benefit to them with your service. Maybe their service could be a benefit to you. You could both just be good people to riff ideas off of and, and you know, things like that. So our main goal now is to start a conversation and have our clients take the conversation from there. Our other goal, and this is even more true in these current times with the coronavirus, is to be helpful share valuable content that asks for nothing in return and just helps people to navigate either what we're doing right now or just navigate the the pain points that are constant within their industry. A good client kind of for you would be like a B2B business or an agency that has a sales team or that needs to kind of fill a sales pipeline. Is that kind of your uh, bread and butter client kind of thing there? Or who would you say is, is, is your kind of best type of client? So we actually work best with the types of companies that are still doing founder sales primarily. They might have some people on doing biz dev or, you know, they might have a salesperson. But we find that personally our best clients are the ones that are still have the founder bringing in a majority of the sales or at least the majority of that company's attention to the company. And the reason for this is a lot of what we do is actually based off the content that we produce for these companies and not on the outreach directly. But we want to be doing this for them primarily from the founder's account because we want to make sure that this stays within their company. If we do it from the salesperson's account, then, you know, these things can can leave later on. You know, if, if the person leaves, then they lose access to them. Now, the difference is, is because we aren't doing such direct sales campaigns. If we were, that would be a great thing to do from the individual salesperson, because once they bring the, the person into the company or, you know, as a client, once they come in, they're within the company. They're no longer owned by the salesperson. But what we're doing here, a lot of it is based on content. A lot of it is inbound. That can be passed off to someone on the sales team. But the content and everything, the marketing itself is still owned by the founder. 
Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of businesses where the founder is the salesperson. A lot of times that's one of the hardest things for people to let go of in companies as they grow is that sales piece. I guess that would work also really well for like startups and SaaS products and, you know, the software as a service type products, as well as I guess highly technical uh, would also probably be a good business for you. Is there anybody else I haven't really mentioned there that might benefit from that kind of like LinkedIn marketing generation system? Yeah, sure. I mean, any any B2B company can definitely benefit from this. It's just that the clients that we serve best are the ones where, you know, it's generally smaller companies without larger sales teams. But for any B2B company, this is certainly something that should be done. I recommend for companies with, with larger sales teams that the focus on the content is still from the founder, even if it's not the founder who's writing the content themselves, even if it's not the founder who's in control of their own LinkedIn account. I recommend that they're the ones publishing this sorts of content and then their sales reps can be resharing it or, you know, adding their own spin to it. So the content still stays within the company. And if the company's larger, it could be marketing manager or something like that as well. But I would love for this content to be, you know, coming from someone high up in the company and then the sales reps are able to utilize it in their own marketing or in their own outreach. Is that content usually, is it usually articles, videos? What kind of stuff do you generally suggest that people are producing for that type of work? We do a mix. Uh, the biggest thing is that it needs to follow LinkedIn's algorithm and guidelines for being able to show it to enough people. And when I say content, I'm primarily talking about status updates on LinkedIn. The reason why it works so well is LinkedIn's algorithm and, and reach is very exponential, which is not a word that I've said in a positive light in a few weeks. But when you look at Facebook or, or Instagram, as an example, they'll often show you content from your connections or your friends and maybe friends of your friends. But with LinkedIn, if you scroll through your newsfeed, you're seeing your connections, you're seeing connections of your connections, and you're often seeing connections of your connections of your connections. So the amount of people that can actually see your content is, is huge. That's the main thing that we're doing throughout our actual outreach and connection requests is, sure, we want to be starting some good conversations with people, but we simply want to be expanding this network as well so that more people in the first degree network are seeing the content and then all the people in their network are able to see our content as well. That's, you know, the real goal. We're doing network growing while also seeing, you know, which people respond back and see, you know, if they might have some interest in learning more about what we do. But this content is a mixture of, you know, it's primarily text posts, actually. Things that resonate really well on LinkedIn are stories and lessons that you can share of something that you oftentimes that you did wrong and you you took away, a, you know, a good lesson from it. Things about hiring are really popular. Posts about, you know, a person that you've hired recently that you didn't think was going to be, you know, they showed up late for the interview and then turned out to be the most dedicated person. You know, it's kind of a cliche post now, but things like that really, really resonate. Yeah, people like business anecdotes a lot on the LinkedIn. Exactly. So I, I try to mix that between, you know, native video, upload the video directly to LinkedIn. Don't try to link to YouTube. Anytime you try to link to an external article, LinkedIn is going to suppress the reach of your post. If you go and look at some of your posts on LinkedIn, not you specifically, but just anybody listening, if you have 300 or 400 views on your post, that basically means that no one's seen it at all because LinkedIn counts a uh, just a scroll past as a view, you know, it's not even enough time to, to see it. 
So the way that the, the algorithm works is that in the first hour of posting anything to the platform, it shows this to a selection of people in your first degree network. And if people start to engage with it in that first hour, the, the algorithm will pick up on the fact that this is valuable content. People like it. And they'll start to show it to a wider selection of people. If nobody engages with it in that first hour, they just kind of send it to die and no one ever sees it. The same is if you post a, a link to somewhere externally, they're going to send it to die because they don't want you leaving the platform. They, they want you to, to stay on. So people will often ask me, well, how do I get people to my website? How do I get people to my blog articles? if they're going to just suppress all the posts. And my answer is usually to actually go and create that blog post as an article on LinkedIn. It can be completely duplicated. There's no negative SEO effect because the algorithm this time from Google recognizes LinkedIn's publishing platform is completely separate. It's not like you've published this on your website and now you go create another website and publish that content there too. There's going to be some sort of... You know, there's a misunderstanding about duplicate content. You know, we're an SEO company. We've tested this extensively. Syndication of content, like you write something on your website and then you put that on other sites and other places and other blogs, it doesn't negatively impact you. The whole misunderstanding about duplicate content came from a uh, actually a Google Plus post years ago. Uh, by someone in search at Google who had talked about duplicate content. And what they were talking about was keyword cannibalization, where if you have one article about a topic on your website and you split that into two articles that are both about the same topic that maybe have some duplicate content, then your SEO value goes down because you're splitting the authority into two separate articles instead of one. That's what duplicate content lowering SEO value actually means. And so when you have posts, like if you have a good blog on your site, you should put that on Medium. You should write a press release about it and put a blurb from it. You should, you know, put that on your LinkedIn for sure. Put that stuff everywhere, right? I mean, there's no, why do you think like newspapers syndicate articles and they get syndicated in papers all over the world? You don't see their SEO value dropping, right? The more an article gets shown, the more, the higher up on the news feed in Google it shows, the higher, the more times it's syndicated. So actually, if your article gets syndicated or picked up by other places, that's positive for your SEO value. Okay, well, I learned something today. And obviously, this misinformation is pervasive enough. It is. It's everywhere. Yeah, I get this asked, you know, whenever I talk about, you know, repurposing your content for LinkedIn, people are always asking me, but like, isn't that going to affect the SEO of my, my website? And my answer is always no. But I guess my longer explanation was, was actually incorrect. I, I think a good idea is to put the long version of an article on your website, like on your blog. So maybe you have a three page blog article that's very in depth about a topic, but summarize it to one page and put that one page article on different sites and cite your blog as the source. Because now that tells Google that that is the source that the information came from, and that is the most important piece, and that will get the most authority. Right, right. Yeah, we're just giving everybody all of the SEO and <laughs> LinkedIn love today. I like what you said about, you know, LinkedIn doesn't want people leaving the platform. Every platform is like that. Facebook doesn't want people leaving their platform. Instagram doesn't want people leaving. Their, it's almost impossible to put a link on Instagram anyway, unless it's like a swipe up from a story or something you know, or the link in bio kind of thing, but nobody clicks those anymore. Anyway, you just want to put native content on each platform and get the attention on the platform. And then 
you know, there's other ways that you can get people talking to you after the fact. Just linking off to blog articles and stuff like that isn't going to drive a whole lot of traffic these days. It just isn't. Yeah, definitely not. And there's just, you know, there's a lot of people linking out to, to everything, everywhere. Everyone's trying to get their, their eyeballs on things. So especially with LinkedIn, you know, it's not enough to just copy paste a link to an article and hope that people will go there. You know, for one, if it's an external article, LinkedIn is not going to show it to anyone. But even if you post just a link to your LinkedIn article, it needs a bit of a summary. It needs something to, to capture people's attention. Generally, that first line of your status update is what captures people's attention as they're scrolling through the newsfeed. Right. Like a call to action. Yeah, definitely. And I would honestly uh, urge anyone who's posting on LinkedIn to optimize for comments, even if they're not really, you know, necessarily concerned with what people have to, to say on any given topic, you know, try to get some comments going by asking a, a question at the end of your post, because questions are, or comments are weighted so much higher than likes on LinkedIn. And that first hour is when you need to get the most engagement on your post and a comment, you know, there's no actual guide for this, but you know, a comment could easily be worth five likes in terms of, you know, showing that there's good engagement. So, so like a, a reply to a reply is apparently the biggest value you could get. So if somebody posts a comment, say, say you post a link to your LinkedIn article and it's, uh, you post your LinkedIn article, somebody says, Hey, that was a great article. And you can say reply back and you can be like, Hey, what was your favorite part? And they reply, Oh, I like the part about da, 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 da. That's the money. Once you get that kind of back and forth started, that's how stuff starts to pick up and get viral, which is something we all know about right now. I think for the first time in history, everybody understands what viral posting actually is. It's when you post something and it quote infects or gets more than <laughs> one person to share it, right? Because if you have more than one person share it and those people who share it can get more than one person to share it, that's how something going viral actually works is a one, one to many relationship. If you share it and one person shares it and one of their people shares it, that still could give you more reach, but that's not really viral, right? It's not going to expand and, and explode exponentially, but it's when you get one person to share it and that person gets, or you get two people to share it and those two people each get two people to share it and so on and so on. That's when you get the hockey stick graph. And uh, that's when you look at the amount of cases of COVID going up in the cities in the US right now. That's why the graph is exactly the same. I feel like we're going to be making these types of COVID analogies for like at least a year to come because it's everybody's reality right now. It's, it's everyone's common experience. Everybody's fight to get toilet paper. I still don't understand that part. <laughs> Yeah, I, I never got that either. I sent a message to Charmin on, and they actually responded to me. And they were talking about how they've ramped up production and they've got stuff coming. If you want to check it out, go to my LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn.com, I believe, slash Matt Rouse. Let me find out. Um, I know it's not the best to be typing in the middle of my podcast, but I want to be able to see my, my LinkedIn. So anyways, we'll get to that in a minute. But is there anything that I haven't asked you yet that you think can help kind of small businesses and small business business owners in general or, you know, during the current current, uh, you know, business climate? Yeah. So I think right now is actually a really good time for the, the methodologies and strategies that we've been moving towards in the past year 
to really take off. And that's the, we've been moving away from doing salesy style campaigns. And we've often just been reaching out and sharing valuable content with people, things that can actually help them out. We want nothing in return. We just want to share valuable content with people. So we've been doing that and it's been working really well during these times because people are realizing, hey, this guy's reaching out. He's got nothing to sell. He's only sharing things that are going to help. So as an example, uh, I send an article along to people of how to stand out on LinkedIn and how to not, you know, get lumped in with, with everybody else while you're, you know, we're all going for the same goals. Everybody in business wants to make sales. It's no secret that, you know, I would love to sell something to to you or to any other marketing agency owner. You know, that's that's no secret here. It's all about the way in which we go about it. Um, so in these times where people are, stress they're they're under resourced they're underfunded they you know they they don't have enough time to get everything done we don't find it to be productive to say hey you know you want to jump in this call so i can you know tell you about all the things that i want to talk about instead we reach out and you know hey here's some content that we put together people in your industry have been telling me they found it extremely valuable check it out let me know if you have any questions or if you have any feedback about it and it can be just an extremely helpful article. And we've been finding that that is a, an incredibly more accepted way of doing this style of outreach because you're no longer reaching out and asking for something, but you're, you're giving something first. Uh, there's a guy named Josh Braun who does a lot of, you know, outreach strategy, cold email type stuff. And he talks about the concept of making deposits before you attempt to make withdrawals. Most, you know, cold email campaigns are attempting to make a withdrawal first. Hey, this is my name. This is my company. Here's my value proposition. Let's get you on a phone call. Used to work really well in the past. And for some industries, it's, it's still working. You know, I'm not going to say that it's not. But what Josh is saying is the, the same concept that we're using here is make deposits instead of making withdrawals. You know, walk up to these people, you know, virtually and say, hey, here's something, you know, no strings attached. I think you'll find it interesting. I think it will help you to improve your business. And if not, tell me why you didn't find it valuable and let's get some conversation going. So that's what we've been finding to be helpful in general, but also in these, these times. Another thing that we're finding is that it's probably best to mention it somehow. You know, we had when things really started to, you know, grow in terms of cases in the U.S., we reached out to all of our clients and asked them, you know, hey, do you want to change up your, your copy or, or anything here? And about half said, yeah, let's let's mention something. And about half said, no, let's just leave it the way it is. And most of the people who left it the way it was started to get some upset replies, even though we weren't even trying to pitch anybody on anything. And they were saying, like, hey, I don't appreciate these sorts of you know, unsolicited connection requests right now. I've got too much going on. You know, this feels inappropriate. Whereas if we just added a simple line saying, hey, you know, I hope everyone in your family is okay. You know, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're navigating these times, you know, in a, in a healthy way. Just something very small to show that we're not just being insensitive about the fact that, hey, there's a global pandemic going on. But I'm just going to plow past and talk about all these things that I want to talk about. Yeah, we often say on the podcast, I think almost every episode it comes up and that's, you know, show people you can help them by helping them. Yeah. Just give them that, you know, give them that that bit of information. And you never know if you have the information or you have the connection that is going to help somebody's business survive right now in the current business climate or to come. You are going to be the hero to them for a long time. And that is going to be a good position to be in for you and your business. Dana, I wanted to say, I think. There's great, great LinkedIn stuff here. A lot of tips on posting on LinkedIn for people that's really going to help. I know that's a question that comes up all the time. I also wanted to say 
My LinkedIn is linkedin.com slash IN slash Matt M. Rouse. If somebody wants to go and you can look at my, my LinkedIn, it says, I won't DM you to sell anything. And we <laughs> talked about that earlier, how my connection request for me connecting uh, with other business leaders has gone up to a hundred percent because they read that in my profile and they go, Oh, well, this guy's not going to sell me anything. So, you know, I'm not that I'm saying that you should put that in your profile. Right. Uh, I'm just saying that that's something that's worked for me and I still DM people. It doesn't mean I'm not talking to anyone. Right. I'm still sending people messages. Hey, can you tell me some more about this thing that you have? Or I saw your post or, you know, that kind of stuff. What's the best way for a business owner to contact you if they want to get more information about what you guys do? So they can either head over to my LinkedIn. My LinkedIn is going to be the same LinkedIn.com slash IN slash Dana Lindahl. My name can be a little bit difficult for people to spell or remember how to spell off the top of their head. But our website is legendaryleadgen.com. And we have a contact form at the bottom there. So anyone who wants to ask me anything, even if it's just to reach out and get some advice or some feedback on their LinkedIn profile or their their strategy that they're currently doing, they can head over to our website, legendaryleadgen.com, reach out to the contact form and usually I reply back to everybody within 24 hours, even if it's just replying back with some advice. Nice. I just sent you a connection request. So hopefully we can be friends on LinkedIn. (laughs) Okay. Excellent. Um, I wanted to mention a couple of things. Now, Dana, I know that you've been on a couple other podcasts also, and I was just on Josh Elledge's podcast, The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. I don't know if you've heard of that one, but he has a spot on his on his website for it. I was listening to an episode that he had on where he's trying to get people to kind of give away something for free or give some advice or some tips to people. And so my tip is if you are a person who is trying to get booked on podcasts and you are an entrepreneur, I think that you should check out the Thoughtful Entrepreneur podcast. It's on upmyinfluence.com slash podcast. And just so you know, Josh doesn't know that I'm pitching this for him. But I thought that might be a good thing that you could check out also. And if you want to be a guest on a podcast and you think that you have something to share about business continuity in the time of the COVID crisis or anything that can be helpful to small business or medium sized business owners and leaders, um, you can go to my website, hookseo.com slash podcast. There's a spot there where you can ask a question. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or an expert you'd like us to find for you or in that question form, just say, hey, we'd like to be on your podcast, send me your information, and we'll get in touch. Dana, I really appreciate you coming on. We'll get the link to you, your LinkedIn and your website in the show notes. Try and, and stay safe and, uh, you know, avoid the COVID and social distance. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a great time and you stay safe as well. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.